You are listening to the Super Mom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 111. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 111. Welcome to the Super Mom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, Master Certified Life Coach, Teacher, and Recovering Supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, Supermoms. How are you? I was sad to miss you last week. I had to skip a week because my voice would not allow me to record a podcast but I'm back, hopefully still a little compromised today, but hopefully I'll make it through without coughing too much. I hope you are all staying healthy and well. I want to thank you for helping me reach this milestone I just reached of 30,000 downloads. So exciting. Thank you so much for all of your questions. You know, if you didn't write in and ask me questions, this would not be much of a podcast. I think everybody loves to hear what everyone else is thinking. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends, helping to get the word out about it. So I'm super grateful to you. Today, I'm going to be answering a question from Tia. But before we get into today's topic, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be reducing my number of one-on-one clients. So if you are thinking, hmm, I could really use some support during the holiday season, if I'm going to be seeing family or dealing with some family dynamics that are triggering for me, maybe you want to get in sooner rather than later, you can send me an email, tori at lifecoachingforparents.com, or you can go to uh, lifecoachingforparents.com slash work with me with hyphens in between the words work with me. And you can schedule a free discovery call or you can say you're ready for some life coaching. My name is spelled T-O-R-I-E at lifecoachingforparents.com. So if you are thinking that the holidays are a good time to have some support in your camp, get on it sooner rather than later (laughs) because I'm going to be reducing the number of one-on-one clients, especially into 2022. So if you are thinking that the best gift you can give your children this holiday season is a happy, peaceful, content, loving mother. (laughs) Then tell your family, say, I want life coaching for Christmas. That's my Christmas present this year to myself. And let me know that you want to hold a spot for yourself starting in 2022. Maybe that's a New Year's resolution you want to work on and you want to have a life coach in your corner to help you overcome obstacles and finally get unstuck and moving forward with your goals. Maybe uh, send me an email and let me know that you are planning that so I can hold one of these one-on-one spots for you because I'm not going to have as many available. All right, so let's get to today's question. Tia writes, I think my teen has anxiety, but she doesn't know it. She's afraid to learn to drive. She gets herself all worked up about going out with friends to dances or parties She thinks it's her intuition telling her that something bad is going to happen and that she needs to listen to it. I don't think it's intuition. I think it's anxiety. I remember you explaining how to tell the difference between instincts, intuition, and anxiety. 
Can you remind me so I can explain it to her? Also, how do you convince a resistant teenager to see a therapist or a life coach? Thanks, Tia. All right. Thank you, Tia, for the great question. So for our parent educator answer, let's answer this question. Is this my intuition? Is it my anxiety? Or is it just a bad burrito? (laughs) As a kid growing up, I remember feeling very frustrated when people would say things like, follow your gut, listen to your intuition. I was such a literal kid that this made no sense to me. If I feel a sensation in my stomach, how am I supposed to know if this is my inner wisdom, my anxiety, or just a bad burrito? It was very confusing. And when I became a mom, this did not get any better because There is all this talk about mother's intuition. A mother just knows. I did not know. (laughs) I thought it was absolute BS. My brain was in such a high state of anxiety, constantly on guard, waiting for something bad to happen to my little newborn baby. And I felt so much weight and responsibility on my shoulders that I had no access to intuition or instincts. I wanted rules concrete steps I could take to ensure that nothing bad would happen to my baby. So all this anxiety got in my way of really even being able to understand what the heck intuition instincts are talking about. Life coaching helped me calm down my anxiety and understand what instincts and intuition were all about. So now it's super important to me that people understand the difference so they don't use it as a weapon against themselves. When we believe our anxieties are inner guidance, it adds a layer of self-betrayal and robs us of our innate ability to trust ourselves. Let's start with the definition. The definition of instincts is a natural or intuitive way of acting or thinking, an innate, typically fixed pattern of behavior in animals in response to certain stimuli. So I didn't teach my dog how to bury a bone, (laughs) but when she gets a bone, she takes it out in the backyard and she buries it. That's her instincts. It's just naturally from her. Uh, Kids who are scared of Halloween decorations in stores and kind of forget, like some kids just naturally, instinctually find that scary and other kids do not. It's just their instincts are telling them something's, you know, dangerous and that they should protect themselves. So it's an instinct. Intuition is the ability to understand something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning. Something one knows or considers likely from instinctive feeling rather than conscious reasoning. So this is why we want our kids to tour college campuses before choosing a college, right? We want them to feel it. We want them to be there on the campus because you can get so much more information that way than just reading about it, taking a virtual tour and seeing it, asking questions. Like you can do all that online, but we still want to go there and get a feel for it. And so that's because we have learned that tapping into that intuition That instinctive feeling rather than conscious reasoning is actually a better way to make decisions because you're picking up on so many more bits of information than the conscious brain ever could. Even in this day and age of virtual house tours, 
where you can know everything about a house, a property, what it looks like on the inside, outside, the street view, satellite view. Like you can learn a ton, but most people still want to see a house before purchasing it because there's so much more information you can pick up on. So we've got instincts, we've got intuition, and then we've got anxiety. Anxiety is a feeling of fear, dread, or uneasiness. Anxiety is very loud inside our heads, and it's very hard to ignore. When our imagination pictures bad things happening in the future, our bodies react as though there's a real and immediate threat. For example, if you think about going to a party and you imagine being stuck in a loud and crowded environment, wanting to leave but not being able to, your heart rate will increase, you'll start sweating, and you'll have a strong desire to stay home. If you imagine a very relaxing party environment with wonderful people who make you feel at ease, then your body might go into a relaxation response. Only in a relaxed state do people have access to their intuition. So this is what's really important for Tia's daughter to know, is that if she's feeling at all anxious or dreading a situation, that is automatically not her intuition. Because from that anxious, heightened alert state, you don't have access to your intuition. Intuition is a calm knowing that can come in as a voice in the head, a dream, a symbolic image, or a feeling in the gut. Intuition has a detached quality to it. Anxiety does not have a detached quality to it. It doesn't come from the mind. In fact, there's no thought trail. So you can't like trace your thoughts back and like, why am I thinking about this now? Why am I all of a sudden thinking about being buried alive in a grave? Like, oh, well, I was watching TV and then that commercial popped in and made me think of Halloween and that scary movie I saw. And now I'm imagining being buried alive. Like (laughs) you can trace it back when it's anxiety, when it's intuition, there's no thought trail. You cannot figure out how you arrived at that calm knowing. So here's an example. I remember a mom who was driving her four-year-old son to a pool party. On the way there, the word drowning came into her awareness. She thought, that's weird. I wasn't even thinking about drowning. She immediately dismissed it without a second thought. Until an hour later, when she looked over at her four-year-old struggling underwater in the pool, she pulled him up to safety and then became fascinated with understanding more about intuition and how it works. So it was very easy to ignore. It was a bit detached. There was no thought trail. She wasn't even thinking about drowning. It was just a word that suddenly popped in. So intuition feels very different than anxiety. Anxiety likes high drama. Human brains aren't likely to worry about minor fender benders. Our brains would rather imagine horribly catastrophic things like driving off a bridge or killing a child in a crosswalk. Anxiety is much more likely to latch on to horrific things that have a low chance of occurrence than everyday things that might be painful, annoying, but aren't horrific. So for example, when my son went to sleepaway summer camp for the first time, I was convinced he was going to be attacked by a bear. Every part of my fight or flight response was in high gear. It took a lot of effort on my part to fight against this belief and let him go anyways. 
there was no room to worry about more realistic problems because my anxious brain had taken over with horrific images of bear attacks. Anxiety doesn't waste energy on minor problems like poison oak or homesickness when it can conjure up dramatic life or death scenarios. Anxiety is going to focus more on being attacked by a shark than the more common scenario of having a coconut fall on your head. So in a nutshell, anxiety lies. Intuition is a calm knowing, not thinking, that comes out of nowhere, not your brain, that is easy to talk yourself out of and has no thought trail. Anxiety is thoughts and pictures in your mind that evoke a fear response in the body. Anxiety is hard to ignore and only goes away if you avoid the activity your brain thinks is scary. You can look back in your mind and find the thought trail. A bad burrito is also hard to ignore, but will last the same amount of time whether you go to the party or not. So if your stomach is upset and you're like, is this my intuition, my anxiety, or a bad burrito? Well, it's going to feel the same whether you're at the party or not. So that's how you know. It's indigestion. So Tia, I think you are right. It sounds like your daughter has some anxiety, but thinks it's her intuition talking to her. This is terribly unhelpful. So hopefully you can share this audio with her. Let her know that intuition can only come in when she is relaxed and that it communicates with peaceful attachment. Today's life coaching answer, I thought I would move on to the second question, which is convincing a resistant teen to go to therapy. All right, I've got nine tips on how to convince a resistant teen to go to therapy, but then what gets in our way from implementing these nine tips I will address afterwards. Number one, make it a normal family activity. Every year we go to see your doctor, you have a checkup. This is the same thing. We have a checkup for the body, a checkup for the brain. This is just something that we do. Every once in a while, our whole family goes. We have maybe a family therapist that helps us talk through things. Maybe mom and dad need to go individually once in a while. It's just something that we do. We take care of our brains and our bodies. Not a big deal. Number two is we live by example. So when they see us doing it, when they see us hiring a life coach to help with certain things, going to therapy when things get difficult and and life has circumstances, or we just talk about it. Like talk about the first time you went to therapy. If you've never gone to therapy, then it's going to be hard to convince your child to go, right? But if you got, like I went when I was in the, in college, I went to the health center because my boyfriend and I broke up and I was a mess. And I thought, okay, this is a pretty normal life experience to go through and I'm this big of a disaster, like I need some help. I need to figure this out. And so I have an experience I can draw from that I can tell my kids about that this is when I went and then I went again. We got premarital counseling before we were married. When I became a mom, I got some therapy. And then I found life coaching, which was better suited to me because life coaching is much more kind of practical, action-oriented. And I didn't have like major trauma. I just wanted to feel better and not be so anxious and enjoy my life more. So uh, life coaching was a better fit for me. So I have lots of experiences that I can draw from that I can tell my kids about. In the leading your teen class, 
always encouraging the moms to tell their teenagers that they're taking a class on how to be a better mom. I think it's excellent role modeling. It shows them that this is something that we do. This is no big deal. And whenever you want to learn something new, like how to parent a teenager, don't expect yourself to be an expert right away. And it's okay for us to always be learning and growing. So love by example is number two. Number three, how to convince a resistant teen to go to therapy is to watch reality television together. So (laughs) you can see a lot of mental, emotional disharmony when you watch, oh, The Bachelorette, The Bachelor, Big Brother, whatever, Survivor, all of these shows where they throw people together that are all strangers and then they have to work it out and learn how to live together. It brings up people's stuff. And so when you watch reality TV together, you can kind of point out like, oh, clearly that person's gone to therapy. That person has done her work is what we call it. It's like, I've done my work to overcome this. I've come a long way. And what's great is that it's becoming more and more talked about now. You know, uh, the stigma around mental and emotional health is not what it used to be. And so you're seeing it more talked about in reality TV, which I love. And so... Watch reality TV together and talk about who's been to therapy and who hasn't and how you can see the benefits show up. Number four, convincing a resistant teen to go to therapy is to be judgmental of people who refuse to grow. So I don't usually encourage parents to be judgmental. It's not a lovely trait. I certainly enjoy not being judgmental, but we are humans and we do tend to judge and especially teenagers. So whether you're watching reality TV and you are being judgmental of the people who haven't done their work, or you could be judgmental of people who haven't gone to therapy but need to, like you could kind of talk about like, isn't that sad that your cousin has had depression for 10 years and still refuses to get help? Isn't it sad that your aunt is still so scared of COVID and has so much anxiety around it that she hasn't left the house for a year. If you know people who haven't addressed their issues, then it'd be really great to kind of be somewhat judgmental about them in front of your teenager, okay? You can also like talk in the past, like I remember dating guys in college who were be like, well, this is how I am, love me or leave me. I'm like, okay, I'll leave you <laughs> because I was so interested in people who were willing to grow and who weren't like just kind of a fixed, done kind of a project, I guess. I was more interested in, in human potential. So I can talk about those guys that I dated in a negative way and kind of be judgmental of them to my kids to try and encourage them and show them that growing and developing at your potential is a worthwhile endeavor. Number five, make it an expected part of your teen's future. So you can talk about like, well, when you start going to therapy someday, or when you hire your first life coach, or, you know, we've been saving money, we got your college money set aside, and we got your therapy fund set aside. And you can just kind of let them know that it's expected. Well, when you get into a relationship someday, you're for sure you're going to want to go to couples counseling or you're going to want to take some class to help you. You're going to want to hire a coach to help you get your first job out of college, whatever it is, like any stage of life that you can say like, yeah, well, 
money set aside for you. We're planning ahead. It's there when you need it. And it's just an assumed thing you're going to want to do. Number six, use your calm leadership energy. If your child is really struggling, it's okay to say, this is going to happen. You're, we're going to go to family counseling. I need help. I can't do this alone. I need some other supportive people on our team. We need a team of support to help you because life is too short for you to feel crappy and you deserve to really enjoy your life. And so we're going to make this happen. So that calm leadership energy is something that I teach my clients and we tap into the natural wiring in kids' brains that are kind of programmed to follow a calm, confident leader. And you can give choices. You could say you can either see a therapist or a life coach, your choice, but we're going to start January 1. Or you could say, you know, there's lots of choices out there. I I have another podcast that talks about all the list of things that help with anxiety. There's so many things and we don't want to overwhelm the kid, but you can say you need to choose somebody else to be on your team to help you learn how to manage your anxiety. You can choose A, B, or C. So using your calm leadership energy is number six. Number seven is to make it a reward, not a punishment. So a lot of times we're like, you need to go to therapy. If you don't go to school, then you're going to see a therapist or you need to figure this out or else I'm calling a therapist. Like we accidentally inadvertently make it into a punishment. And so instead we want to make it a reward. So you can say like, oh my gosh, after the year you've had with COVID and missing out on so much of school and adolescence and development, like you deserve to go to therapy. Like you deserve to have a life coach. We're going to make this a priority for you. I'm going to gift it to you for Christmas. I'm going to make sure I set aside some money so that you can find somebody to help you enjoy your senior year, whatever it is, okay? I can't wait for you to get some help so that you can go to parties and enjoy them and not let your anxiety take over. I can't wait for you to feel better. I'm so excited that you're going to get to release all this guilt and pressure you're putting on yourself. You're going to feel so much better when this guilt and pressure is gone. Like You carry a lot of weight around. I can't wait for you to enjoy the benefits of therapy. All right? Reward, not punishment. Number eight. Have them talk about their future goals. Like, well, what do you want for yourself and your future? And how can we support that? How can I help you make that happen? You know, do you want to go to college someday? Do you want to move out? Do you want to study abroad? Do you want to do a gap year? Do you want to get a job and you want to practice job interviewing skills? You know, it can be a small little thing. Maybe you want to babysit the neighbor's kid, but you're too scared to go over there and introduce yourself and ask them for money. Oh, that's a great thing. Let's hire a life coach for that. And just one little session gets you some confidence that you are there to support their goals, not your goals. (laughs) It's a very subtle trick because it seems like, well, my goals are to make my child happy, but energetically, The kids pick up on it when it's like, I need you to feel better so that I can feel like a good mom is an energy we don't want to put out there. But if you say, hey, I'm just here to support you. What do you want? I'm going to help you make it happen. 
that's the energy that kids are more likely to be receptive towards. All right, last one, number nine, ask your child if they know anybody who sees a therapist or a life coach. Do you have any friends these days? Do you have any YouTubers that you follow? Anybody on Instagram uh, that talks about seeing therapists, life coach? What do they think about it? Why did they go? What was their experience like? And just make normalize it by talking about things. Maybe your cousin went, maybe your aunt went, maybe, you know, some uh, famous person that you admire is open to talking about their experience about it. So just make it seem like it's a normal thing to do that people they admire go. All right. So those are nine ways to convince a resistant teen to go to therapy. But the most important thing is what gets in our way from being able to communicate these things in a natural, open-minded way is our own super mom tendencies. So listen to this list and see if any of these things sound familiar, sound like it goes through your head. Well, if I was a good mom, my daughter wouldn't have anxiety. I should be able to help her with this. I should be able to fix, I know about this, I could fix this. Uh, If she's depressed, it means I have failed. I've given her everything. So she shouldn't have these issues. What does she have to be depressed about? What does she have to be anxious about? All he does is lie around all day. Well, I figured it out. I sucked it up. Why can't she? It's my fault. I should have been a better mom. This is why she has anxiety because I did something wrong. If you've got any of those beliefs or anything that sounds vaguely similar, that is going to get in your way from communicating and talking about therapy in a way that sounds wonderful and awesome. So these are just a few of the thoughts that can keep parents from being able to talk about therapy and coaching in a positive place. If any of these sound familiar or they sound like how it goes in your head, then you getting some life coaching first would be the most helpful thing. Cleaning up your energy so that you can communicate, be this in an energetic way that's helpful to teens so that you can come from this place of like, hey, I'm just here to support you. What do you want? I can help. Calm leadership energy of like, this is just what we do in our family. Like this no ifs, ands, or buts. It's going to happen, but you can choose. Like finding the balance of energy that will make your child respond and make the most of their therapeutic or life coaching experience is what I suggest your step one would be, is to get into life coaching, clean up your any resistance that, that you have so that you can be a resource to your kid. So the main thing, if you want to start with something today, the main thing is we need to show our teenagers that we are their friend, not their enemy. Her walls will go up if she doesn't think you are on her side. So convincing her that you are ally and friend is the most important thing. So if the second thing would be for you to find someone to help you explore your bias and uncover any subconscious resistance that you might have to your child going to therapy. And then the third thing would be start talking about it. Start make normalizing it, making it cool, making it a reward, making it fun and wonderful. Because from my experience, it is. 
Today's super mom kryptonite is a narrow objective focus. From the time we start school, we are taught to focus our attention on the teacher, the blackboard, the words in the book, the kids who are great at narrowly focusing their attention get rewarded. They get their work done quickly, they get good grades, they absorb information, and they breeze through standardized tests. Our culture has learned to associate a narrow focus with success and achievement. I would go so far as to say that if your child is the teacher's dream student, always paying attention, always alert, raising their hand, right there with the teacher, with this narrow focused attention, if they're that way from a very young age, I would go so far as to say that's a predisposition for anxiety. Even though everybody loves your student because that is a teacher's dream to have someone who's constantly paying attention to them because this narrow focus causes stress and anxiety. Too much time spent in narrow focus. This is like an emergency state. You know, if like an animal is stalking its prey in the wild, it's going to have that intense, narrow focus. Everything else is blocked out. I am focused on my prey. But that's like, you know, what, 20 minutes a day or something. The rest of the time, they're chilling, they're relaxed, they're in their open focus brain. So, If you've ever caught yourself doom scrolling through social media, looking for something to stress about, going down a rabbit hole of stress and, oh my God, I can't believe they think this, this is scary, looking for bad things to happen, then you'll know what I mean. This narrow focus causes stress and anxiety. When you're staring at your phone, your eyes are narrowly focused. When a forest fire was threatening our home, I watched these social media reports two times a day, checking the latest updates, texting the neighbors, feeling the stress of a situation I had no power to control. My eyes were in narrow focus and it was causing me to be stressed when there really wasn't anything for me to do. So if you are trying to convince your teen to go therapy, for example, but you are in this narrow focused, like you need to go to therapy, you need some help, I need to you to go to therapy, it's not going to work because narrow focus brain, it keeps our brains in a beta brainwave state. It's great for getting things done, but not great for motivating resistant teenagers because these brainwave states are contagious. So you might be in training your teenager's brain without realizing it to also be in beta, stressed out, rigid, narrow, I don't want to be open to new ideas. (laughs) I don't want to rest or play or engage with people socially because we're both in this narrow brainwave state. It's like survival mode. So this narrow focus is an emergency mode. It should be used if your kid is running into oncoming traffic, but not when you want them to be open-minded and receptive to new experiences. And since we have the power to entrain other people's brains, if mom can calm her brain down, shift into an alpha state, you might be able to entrain your daughter's brain to do the same. So if you walk through your house, please tell me I'm not the only one that has ever done this. You walk through your house with narrow focus. Your eyes dark from one chore to another. 
oh my God, I got to get dinner started. Oh my God, the clothes need to be folded. The laundry is needs to be done. Why is this family room messy again? Can't the kids pick up their stuff? Oh my God, there's dirty socks all over the floor. Ew, look at the floor, it's disgusting. This narrow focus brain causes you stress and makes your family not want to be around you. With the introduction of iPads into the hands of toddlers, kids are spending massive amounts of time in narrow focus before they even begin school because it requires a narrow focus to look at an iPad. I suggest parents, kids, and teens understand the value of the open focus brain and start prioritizing its practice. So let's try this. Right now, pick an object to focus your attention on. This could be right in front of you or outside a window. But I want you to stare at it intensely like a predator stalking its prey. Really engage your whole body as you stare at this object. Now, gently keep your gaze on that object as you also become aware of the periphery of your vision. Let all the peripheral and background objects come into the foreground, focusing on everything equally. You might start to notice that your breathing slows down and you feel a little calmer than before. If we were watching your brain on an EEG machine, we might see you switching from beta to alpha brain state, a more calm and relaxed brain state. So if you can learn to use this diffused open brain, releasing the narrow focus, then you might be able to impact the brain states of the people around you. So today's super mom power boost is the open focus brain. So the Open Focus Brain is a book by Les Femi and Jim Robbins, and it teaches readers to, quote, harness the power of attention to heal the mind and the body. An open focus brain shifts your awareness to the spaces in between things. It's what artists do when they are drawing. They're paying attention to the spaces in between. It's what basketball coaches teach their players to get to do, to have soft eyes, to see the whole court so you can anticipate what's about to happen. Having an open focus shifts your brain into this alpha brainwave state that's much more relaxing. Why do so many people enjoy an expansive view? Why is it so universal that people like to watch a sunset or they like to look up at the night sky? Could it be that our eyes have nothing to focus on. And so we focus on everything in our periphery all at the same time, which shifts our brain into that alpha brainwave state. And it's something we universally all enjoy and relax around. You cannot make your kids shift their gaze from narrow to open, but you can try not to interrupt when you catch them staring into space. When they get into the car after a long day of school, You might be hungry to reconnect, but they might be zoning out because it's the best possible thing for them to do after a day of focused attention. When you see your kids staring out the window, zoning out, not into a phone, because that's narrow focus, but zoning out into the space and sky, consider it sacred time. Think of it as a bubble bath for the brain. Healthy, restorative, and therapeutic, but also contagious. Like, let yourself be entrained by their brain. If they're going to be in diffused focus, zoned out, staring into space, why not you? 
practice it as well. So let's try another exercise to help you shift into open focus, this diffused state. So first pick an object to stare at intensely with narrow focus. I like you guys to feel the contrast. So really stare at with narrow focus, look straight ahead like a predator stalking its prey, let your whole body engage. Now, listen to the most dominant sound that you can hear and really pay attention to it. Let it get louder and bigger in your awareness. Then release your focused gaze and tune into your peripheral vision. Let that initial object become the background and everything else become the foreground. Soften your gaze, stare into space. Now notice all the sounds you can hear. Do you hear nearby sounds? Maybe the hum of a heater, barking dog. How about faraway sounds like wind in the trees or freeway noise? Hold all the sounds you can hear in your awareness at the same time. Then tune into the silence between the sounds. Even in a very noisy environment, there's also silence. Think of it like words written on a page. Become aware of the page or become aware of the silence underneath the sounds. Hold all these sounds in your awareness at the same time. The way we pay attention, whether narrow, rigid, or soft, open, and flexible, is the biggest determiner of well-being because it shifts our brain wave state. Using open focus techniques to shift into a synchronous alpha brain state will help you calm down and relax. When you are in a relaxed state, your kids are more able to hear what you have to say. When they pick up on your relaxed alpha brainwave state, it sets them up to be open to new experiences. Today's quote of the day, practice following your intuition in everyday things, trusting your gut feelings moment by moment and acting on them the best you can. As you learn to trust yourself in small matters, you will build power and confidence to build bigger risks and deal with the larger issues in your life successfully. Shakti Gawain, who was the first self-help author I ever read way back in high school, I read Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain. If you are interested in reducing stress and physical pain, as well as anxiety and depression, while increasing focus, creativity, and well-being, which when you're and relaxing so that you can rest, play, and engage socially with others more easily, then I highly suggest the book, The Open Focus Brain. I will put a link to the audiobook in the show notes. So you can go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 111, get a link to the audiobook because it's much better than the book originally came with a CD in the back. And so you want to be able to listen to these things. But especially if you have pain, like you would be amazed at how this diffused focused attention when placed on the body can release physical pain. Like you would not believe it's as easy as it is. So highly suggest it. Thank you so much for listening today. I will love you and leave you. Take care. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. 
If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.